The following episode may contain material that is triggering to listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello and welcome to the Transfix Take podcast where we are performance driven. Now, today we have a very special episode for you, and joining us on the show is Laura Cyrus, the, the Senior Director of Industry Training and Outreach for Truckers Against Trafficking, and Rhonda Hartman, who is a American Trucking Association Road Team Captain and Truckers Against Trafficking Ambassador. And she's also been a professional truck driver for almost 40 years and has accumulated, this is my favorite stat, almost probably more at this point, 3 million accident-free miles. Welcome to the show, ladies. I'm so excited to have you both here today. Yeah, thanks Thank for having us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So I want to set the stage. We have a very important discussion to talk about today. Laura, can you help us understand and, and sort of enlighten our audience about what Truckers Against Trafficking is and the incredible work that you guys have done in the industry? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. That's an amazing, um, amazing intro, and and we're proud to to be partners with Transfix. But um, we are an international now nonprofit organization that is really seeking to educate and equip members of the transportation industries, so trucking, bus, as well as the energy industry. Um, on how to recognize and report human trafficking. We recognized that especially truck drivers uh, through their sheer numbers, their extensive travels and the nature of their jobs could provide an extra set of eyes and ears for law enforcement in identifying victims, reporting those instances, and then ultimately helping to recover those victims um, out of those trafficking situations. So we work again across um, North America to educate uh, these primary audiences, these folks that are really boots on the ground um, to recognize and report this crime. We offer free industry specific training um, again to the trucking bus and energy industries as well as law enforcement now um, on how to recognize and report. And the, our main ask um, is really just that this training gets included as a part of new hire orientation or regular safety training that companies may have so that you can educate and equip um again all of the amazing men and women out there who are who are daily on our roads right seeing all kinds of all kinds of stuff absolutely and that's such a wonderful i mean i'm so glad that you guys exist you know um truckers against trafficking actually came into transfix and educated our internal team about this so i'm excited to to bring this to the masses on, on the podcast today now um now rhonda i would love to hear about how you got involved with truckers against trafficking and can you tell us a little bit about your experience in the organization thus far um thank you so much and also for that great introduction <laughs> um sometimes you kind of forget how long you've been doing this <laughs> i hear you <laughs> but it has been a long time um how i was introduced um to chat was actually at an iowa event that um is our our truck driving championships for iowa uh tat had a tent set up and was um, giving out information and stuff. And that was the first that I actually heard of the specific organization. But I have been aware over all the years that I have been driving that we are kind of like, if somebody sees a truck driver, they just kind of, they think it's just a truck, you know, like they don't, they don't acknowledge that there's a person there. So sometimes people will not react or try to hide anything from mm -hmm. us though they just kind of put it right out there in front of us all the time and 
um, that goes for people breaking speed limit laws, to, you know, to everything else. And this is, um, that is how I found out about Cat. And um, with through America's road team, um, Captain, then I took the training with Cat and have spoke at a couple of events um, that have been close to where I am. And um, I've done the downloads of videos and hearing their own voices, some of the um, women who have gotten out of this industry and told their stories. It's so emotional and I am very humbled to be able to speak about it on their behalf. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I guess I, I also want to continue to set the stage too and helping folks understand what is trafficking? What does that mean? And if how can folks identify possible situations of trafficking as they are on the road? Yeah, that's a great place. Great, great reminder. Um, always to make sure that we're all operating under that same definition. And so when we talk about human trafficking, we're talking about the exploitation of human beings through force, fraud, and coercion for the purposes of either commercial sex, think prostitution, stripping, pornography, brothels, um, and most typically pimps as well as forced labor or labor trafficking. So you can think of sweatshops, um, agricultural fields, domestic servitude, um, construction work sometimes, nail salons, right? Illicit massage uh, parlors, all of these things, whether it's it's forced sexual exploitation or forced labor, um, there's a third party, a trafficker, a victimizer, someone who is in control of someone else and making a profit off of their labor. Um, that is what we're talking about when, when we use the word human trafficking. And in terms of what people can look for, especially over the road, you know, we have we've worked to train um, over 1.3 million people so far with our, our training material. Um, and yet we know there are millions more both in the trucking industry and without that really can benefit from understanding these signs. So whether you are a truck driver or you are a corporate office worker or someone that works for a shipper or you're a stay at home mom, um, whoever you are, honestly, you have the opportunity to potentially see red flags. And so the, the two most obvious signs, especially when we're talking to folks within transportation, if you're at a truck stop or a rest area or a hotel or motel, or honestly just on a city street, um, anytime you see someone that looks like they're under the control of a pimp, uh, regardless of the age or gender of that victim, or that potential pimp or trafficker. Um, we know from the, the victim side, this is happening to men, women, boys, and girls. And from the trafficker side, um, I think a lot of times people, you know, when, especially when they hear the word pimp, they, they might think of a, a specific stereotype or a, an image that comes to mind from media or culture, you know, that we've, we've been conditioned to think about. Right. But really, what, what is a pimp? A, a pimp is a slave driver and a trafficker, and they come in all makes and I mean, all colors, all genders, all socioeconomic backgrounds, just as when we, we think about victims, there's no age, gender, socioeconomic status, um, you know, that might prevent somebody from being victimized. The same is true when we talk about traffickers, there really is no neat box um, that a trafficker has to fit into, right? So anytime you see someone under the control of a pimp, or anytime you see someone that you believe um, a minor, that you believe is engaged in soliciting for commercial sex. Those are two huge, huge red flags. Um, and we would encourage whoever you are to either call local law enforcement or 911 right away, or to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 
3737888. And the beauty of this hotline is not only is it national, um, but it is a little bit different than calling 911. When you call this hotline, you will speak to a trained operator who will help you determine if what you're witnessing is human trafficking. Mm -hmm. If it sounds like it is, um, that hotline operator will either relay that information to their local law enforcement partners across the country or they will ask you to hang up and dial 911. The the great thing about calling this hotline is that you don't have to be right. I think that's one of the um, the barriers sometimes in getting involved in, in a situation like this is you think, well, what if I'm wrong? I don't want to interrupt. If it is a family situation, even if there are a few red flags, you know, sometimes people just have bad days and maybe we're, we're catching somebody on an off day and, and a, a bad situation. Maybe they're not acting like they, they might normally would. Sure. But if you start to see two or three red flags or you just get that feeling that something isn't right, um, it, it can still be intimidating to make that call. So the, again, beauty of the hotline is you don't have to be right. You can be wrong. You're not tying up a 911, you know, line or something. Um, and that, that hotline operator really is there to help you determine if that situation is trafficking or not. So Laura, I'm just gonna ask you, now that everyone has the knows the importance of the hotline, can you repeat that number one more time? Yes, so it is 1-888-3737-888. And you'll probably notice I said it a little bit differently than we normally say a phone number. 888-3737-888. Um, it's, it's, we, we say it that way to help people remember, but um, I would challenge all of you, you're probably maybe listening to this podcast on your phone or maybe on your computer, um, but one thing I would challenge you to do is just add that as a contact in yeah. your in your address book and go a step further and check out an amazing app that we have. Just search Truckers Against Trafficking on any app platform um, and you can download this free app. You can make a tip to the hotline directly from that app. You can read red flags. You can read through case studies. You can watch all of our training videos. Um, it's really a great resource and, and will help um, further educate you on, on the issue. You know, when we talk about tra uh, human trafficking in the industry, I tend to uh, talk more about it with our drivers and dispatchers and so forth. And I don't necessarily speak too often about it with our shipper partners. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, you know, how can we kind of, um, you know, is there a way in which they can identify possible trafficking when it comes to team drivers or, you know, perhaps dispatchers that may notice that odd behavior for their drivers on the road? That's a little bit different, right? Because they are stationed kind of in an office setting, not necessarily trained to kind of look out. So I'd love for both of you to, to provide some tips for our shipper partners if you can. You know, I'm going to kick that to Rhonda. She has she has more driver experience. Um, I think just I'll I'll do a quick thing, and then I I want to talk about another way that shippers can get involved. Yeah. Um, but I think you know from a human behavior perspective, and and this goes beyond just trafficking. Um, I think we we have gotten to a place where we are sort of everybody. You probably can't see me, everyone, but I'm holding up a cell phone, and just we're all you know, in, in our own world and not paying attention yeah. to kind of what's going on around us. Um, and I think the more we can encourage everybody um, to just be aware and be looking out for things that just don't seem right, yeah. um, that, you know, that's huge. So Rhonda, I'd, I'd love to kick it to you um, as a driver, you know, from, from a, a shipper's perspective, what, what can folks be looking for in odd behavior within team drivers um, or any, any examples that you have? I mean, from a, a driver's perspective, maybe this is different in every company, but if, there are passengers in the truck. Are those supposed to be 
cleared with anyone or, um, you know, are you just able to have any passenger you want in your vehicle? It's a great question. Um, no, um, truck, most companies don't allow riders along, but there are some that do, um, but there has to be paperwork, uh, for where that person got in at, where that person gets out at, how many days that they are able to ride along a lot of family members, you know, um, at, at one time, which I guess I'm not sure if they still do it, but I, I drove for Walmart in the nineties and we could take parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, our children, as long as they were over the age of five, uh, with us in the truck. So there are big companies that do allow it. And there are small companies that do allow it. But part of it is, is just observation. You can tell if, you know, people are comfortable in their position or if they're not. Now, sometimes teenagers, you know, they feel like they're kind of forced to go along and see what dad's day or mom's day is like, you know, for the summer. And they may look a little ticked off. But you can tell the difference between that and somebody actually being afraid of that person that they're with. It just takes some observation. Honestly, and uh, there has been a couple of times over the years where something just hasn't looked right. Um, even like a girl coming into a restroom, mm-hmm. um, which you know, most of us travel on vacation, which is how I talk to about um, this subject with people who are not truck drivers is you all go on vacations, you all go to the grocery store, you all go to the malls. More of it takes place there than what people are even aware of. And it's usually, they're really good. Those traffickers are really good at spotting people who are vulnerable. Hmm. And I have asked a couple of times, are you okay? You know, like if somebody is just like crying, like they come in the restroom and they they just start bawling. I'm like, are you okay? Do you need help? usually just engaging them in something. Sometimes they'll just bust out and tell you their whole life, which maybe has nothing to do with, with being trafficked, but at least you made that initial contact and you yeah. asked that question. Yeah. That's so important, right? Like that, that intuition that I feel like most of us have, right? Where we know something's off, but it's, it's also, I think like to your point, Laura, we're always so engulfed in our phones or some type of technology that keeps us kind of away from that connection. I, I was interrupting you. I saw you were going to say something. Oh, no, just just that, again, speaking to that point of um, getting back to that place of, you know, here we're talking, today we're talking about human trafficking. And yes, we want to be looking for red flags and, and, and it may be in this situation. But like Rhonda mentioned, you know, just because somebody is acting strange or sad or, or, you know, crying or whatever, it might not necessarily mean that they're being trafficked. But does that then mean you're not going to care and you're not going to get involved? I hope not. I hope you would still, you know, take the time and just that, that human interaction of just asking somebody if they're okay, if they need something, you don't need to be the person that is responsible for their entire life changing at that moment. But if you can, in those five minutes, just prove that, um, that human element, the human connection is still alive and well in, in, in this day and age, um, that can really go so far for, for anybody experiencing, you know, a, a, a bad situation like that, regardless of if it's trafficking. The one thing I, I want, I wanted to, to come back to Jenny too, from the, the shipper's perspective yeah. is, um, 
you know, obviously there is that, you know, what, what can we be looking for that human element? But another thing that I would love shippers to consider shippers and manufacturers is to consider leveraging their networks. We have an amazing program called our shipping partners program. And what it does is it essentially um, aligns the work of TAT with corporate social responsibility and sustainability goals that these huge organizations have. Uh, well, whether you're small or you're large, um, a, a size company, um, you know, as a, as a corporate citizen, as a, a business within the community, you want to be known for doing the right thing, hopefully, right? You wanna have these corporate core values that really support um, human rights and and the the safety and and well-being of people in your community as a way to make good on that you can partner with tat through our shipping partners program and leverage your relationships with all of the carriers that are moving your goods to say hey this work aligns with our corporate values as a company we would like to encourage anybody that moves product for us to be trained in this free you know anti-trafficking awareness training that exists through truckers against trafficking we're a supporter of their work um and and basically being that connection point between tat and all of those um all of those carriers um and we have seen amazing things happen because of the the influence of our shipping partners um, that have been willing to to leverage their networks on our behalf. So that's another way too that that folks can get involved. I love that you mentioned that because I think that's so important, right? And you know, in in especially in corporate sustainability goals and ESG and so forth, yeah. I think companies tend to err on the side of environmental. Yes, and that's yes. listen. It's very important to care about the environment, but it's yes. also equally imp as important to care about the people that are around you, right? Yes. And to make sure that they are safe yeah. and that they won't be exposed to situations such as human trafficking yeah. um, across the board. You know, and, and Rhonda, I'd love to hear about your experience as a female driver. I mean, I know I've seen more women coming into this industry, which I absolutely love. I think that's one of my favorite things to hear. But tell me a little bit about what are some of the things that you have seen in your experience? You know, have you seen anything suspicious on the road in addition to the story that you just told us with the women who went into the bathroom? Like, tell, tell us a little bit about what that looks like in your experience. Um, Absolutely. I... It, it was it was in the early 90s and I was going through Chicago. That was really the first time when, um, as I've talked to children and anybody basically that will listen to what I have to say, when the hair stand up on the back of your neck, don't try to talk yourself out of that. Yep. That is a warning sign for you to be paying attention to what's going on, either if you're walking alone what's going on around you. But in the case with this one, I had a, a van come up beside me. It was a panel sized van, but it had a window in the side, in the door. But this van was kind of trapped behind another semi that was in the other lane. And there was a couple other trucks ahead of us. So both lanes were totally packed with traffic, even though it was probably about nine or 10 o'clock at night. Hmm. It was totally dark. And the light was on in the van. And so we, I looked down at this van and what I seen in there made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And I just felt like a panic all of a sudden. I had, I have five children. I now have 10 grandchildren, but at the time I just, you know, I had my children. Some of them were, were still pretty young yeah. and there was about 15 babies strapped into car seats bolted to the floor of this van there was all different colors of babies there was ages from just a few months it looked like up to maybe at the most nine months old 
there was one lady that was Hispanic. That mm-hmm. was the only thing I could tell from her as she went by me because she had the light on in there. Mm-hmm. And all these babies were all screaming. And I just felt like they were, they were screaming for help. I mean, yeah. why would this person be transporting a bunch of babies in a, in a panel van? Right. You know, so that was before cell phones. And so I got on, a, you know, my CB radio and I am calling anybody. Is there anybody that is in a location where they have access to a phone to call 911 for me? Mm-hmm. I just kept after it until I finally got somebody to answer. But by the time um, I was actually able to get a hold of somebody through them and have them talk, you know, to the police and I was telling them what I could tell them. The license plate was kind of blocked out, so I couldn't get a good look at the license plate, but she was finally able to get around traffic Mm -hmm. and take off. And that was really like the first time when I knew this is not right. There is something really wrong with the situation. And at the time, there was stories on the news about babies being stolen from hospitals. And I thought, that's what this is. You know, they're stealing yeah. all these babies and then they're, they're taking them someplace else where no one will recognize them. And that was the first time that I actually did, which I have a more recent story too, but I will let you guys comment in between. <laughs> I, you know, I think just the, the awareness is what really stuck to me here. You know, obviously that's very unfortunate and sad situation, but I think it really, the through line is that it has to go back to that, right? And and being able to look inside. I think we get a little scared sometimes to look in people's cars and their vehicles and so forth. But the fact that you were able to identify there's something wrong here, I see exactly what it is, and then call for help through your CB radio at that time, I think speaks volumes to just that's the starting point, right? If you, if, if there's any advice that you can walk away with today is to be aware of your surroundings and, and listen to your gut. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because we don't, and right. We don't know what, what that situation may have been. And I, I think the key thing, like you're saying, Jenny, is that awareness, listening, listening to those feelings that you have when something doesn't feel right. And mostly just paying attention and, and being willing to act. I mean, in that situation, Rhonda, you, you did exactly the right thing. What I hope anybody would do, which is, Hey, I don't know what, what this is that's happening, but it just, something about it isn't right. If nothing else, I hope somebody can follow up on this and, you know, investigate what's going on. Um, who knows? Maybe, maybe it was nothing. Who? I mean, sounds very suspicious, but the point is, um, right. Taking that second look. And I think now, I mean, just listening to your story, Rhonda, and knowing the, the amazing, maybe sometimes frustrating leaps that technology has brought us now, now that people do have cell phones, we do have forward facing dash cams and, you know, all of these different technological tools that can help us um, be getting those details, the license plates and all of this or calling law enforcement right away. That's another key thing that I want to point out to people is especially drivers. um, Don't wait to make the call. Don't wait because time is of the essence. Traffickers are exploiting legitimate businesses they're exploiting you know places um as much as they're exploiting the people that they're they're taking advantage of and they're counting on all of us general citizens or truck drivers whoever we are just either not paying attention or being ignorant or thinking that that person that's being sold 
is quote unquote um, just a a prostituted person, and that we're not going to care to get involved. Um, but the reality is, if we know that time is of the essence, that traffickers are routinely keeping their victims moving so that they can't make connections, so that they can't get bearings on their their location, and all of these different things, we have to act immediately. And I, I've spoken with drivers that have said, um, you know, over the course of my career. They're, they're understanding now what they've seen over decades of being over the road. And they've said, you know, I've, I've had my gut gnaw on me for an hour driving down the road and realizing I had a missed opportunity. I should have called right away because now I'm 60 miles, you know, northbound and that trafficker and that victim could be 60 miles down the road in the opposite direction. Right. Um, and so just thinking of that um, time is of the essence. And again, calling out your, your, your quick thinking Rhonda and just trying to do whatever you could to um, yeah, get that, get that tip called in at the time. Absolutely. You know, it, the saying has, has been said a lot more recently um, for different things, but if you see something, say something is really, that is simple. Don't just let it go. Trust your gut. Yeah. You know, if if you are walking alone, like I told my kids, and those little hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that that's that's your guardian angel telling you to run. You know, so don't just become a victim. If you get a chance to get out of the situation, get out of the situation. But for us out on the road. Um, seeing something and, and just thinking, oh, I really don't want to get involved with this right now, blah, 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 you know how you think. But it, it's important because it might be that person's life. And um, do, do I have time to tell the second, the second story, which is actually comes from my granddaughter? Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Okay. The, the second one, which this was a story told to me by my granddaughter, which I, it, it fit perfect into TAPS training and telling the story, I always get very choked up because my granddaughter kind of put herself in danger to do it, but it was her gut reaction. She worked at, um, at a place in Des Moines that took in um, kids that were on the streets, tried mm -hmm. to give them some civility, tried to um, give them education. The ones that were, you know, still, you know, should be in school somewhere. They had school right there. They didn't send them off somewhere. They had everything for them. They had counselors for them, but they also had kids in there that were removed from homes because of very bad situations mm -hmm. um, also. But one day this girl shows up um, out on the streets and one of the counselors out there saw her a couple of times. And so they actually got her to to stop and just talk to them a little bit. And she told them that, um, that she was homeless and she had nowhere to go. And so they took her in. She said that she was 14. And so they put her in a room with 11 to 14 year olds, um, where, you know, there was like three other girls that were that within that age range. And over the course of a couple of weeks, um, this girl became really good friends with these other three girls. They seemed to talk a lot and everything seemed to be fine. And then one night, um, the back door opened, which these kids were not locked in, but mm -hmm. if they left, an alarm went off and a camera came on just to show who was leaving so they could go and try to talk them out of doing that. Um, the camera came on, my granddaughter was working. These four girls now were bolting out the back door and she could see a van 
sitting mm-hmm. just barely in camera with the door open and she took off down the hallway and out this back door and was screaming at these girls to stop. And they did, they, they actually did all stop before they jumped into that van and took off. And in the course of the interviews with them, um, the girl who came in last was actually 17 years old. She had been trafficked since she was 11 and how they had done this with her was she actually left on her own. They basically were recruiting her at a mall. She was at a mall with her friends, but she was the quiet one. She would kind of hang back. And that's how they ended up. It was actually another girl who pretended to be that age who friended her and told her how she could make all this money if she come with her, you know, and of course not telling her what she was really going to be doing. And they would send these girls into which all the ones she knew were girls, which is why I say it that way. But um, they would send these girls into towns um, and to, to dress them, you know, make them look like they're actually younger than they were and recruit more 11 to 14 year olds. That was the age range that they wanted them in. Yeah. And she ended up telling the police the whole story of how she agreed to go. She, she wasn't abducted. She actually agreed to go with these people in the beginning. And they did, they kept her moving all the time. They would only leave her in a city for a week or two weeks. You know, if she couldn't get them out of that shelter at that time, she would have just left on her own and they would have moved her to another, another place. But that, I mean, my granddaughter put her own life. She didn't know who was in that van but she wasn't going to let those girls leave either, (laughs) you know, without trying to stop the situation. This is, I mean, I know how, you know, hearing this as, as a, you know, healthy adult person, right. We, we can hear this and think how horrific this sounds and just how crazy that this young girl is pretending to be younger than she is. And she's forced to recruit out of, but this is a common thing. This is a common thing. And um, I think Rhonda, thank you for sharing this story because it, it highlights a very important point. And that is that the majority of victims are not abducted. I mean, certainly there are kidnapping cases and that's how this starts. And that's how the trafficking situation happens. It it absolutely does. We have, we have cases of this. We know it's going on, but the majority of victims are going to know their traffickers, whether they, right, have become befriended by them over the period of weeks or months, or they've met some person online and developed this sort of casual online quasi romantic relationship or a relationship where the trafficker is coming in and playing if it's a male, the, the daddy or the boyfriend role in the life of the victim, or in this case, if it's someone pretending to be a friend and again, recruiting these girls, earning their trust, learning things about them, we have to remember that at all times, traffickers, and you, you said this, Rhonda, traffickers are looking for the vulnerable. They are looking for folks on the margins, whether those are kids, whether they're adults, whether it's people experiencing homelessness um, or, you know, abusive situations at home or neglect at home, any of these things. You don't have to be from, you know, the wrong side of the tracks necessarily, right? right? You don't have to come from a broken home. You don't have to come from from a, an impoverished situation. Certainly those people have their own set of vulnerabilities, but on the flip side, I mean, we know that there are victims of trafficking that come from two-parent households that are going to school every day, straight A's, extracurricular activities, going to church, right? All of these things 
the the common thread here that we have to remember, and I think as parents, hopefully people's like <laughs> hairs on the back of their neck are standing up, yeah. just remembering that any vulnerability that exists is a potential opportunity for a trafficker to to kind of come in, put, get their hooks in, earn some trust, and and then groom or recruit that person over the period of weeks or months until you know something changes. Like like you mentioned, Rhonda, that young girl initially had no idea what what it was she was going to be doing to earn lots of money, and maybe it's the promise nope. of an exciting new life in a new city, working as a waitress or a model or you know whatever it is. And someone who is desperate or vulnerable or seeking to get out of maybe an abusive situation at their home, they're thinking that looks like a golden ticket. And yes, anything out there in the world could be better than what I'm experiencing at home—the abuse or neglect or whatever. And so they, or you know, maybe that's not the situation too, but they see this as their ticket out of there. And um, it's just, again, reinforcing the fact that traffickers are master manipulators. And if they are working that hard and being that smart and that cunning, um, we as the general public, we as the transportation industry, we have to rise to that. And we have to, again, know what those red flags are and be willing to act if and when we suspect it. And when I, when I talk personally, like with other truck drivers, I tell them, don't keep this information to yourself. You right. need to tell every family member. You need to talk to your kids. I had one lady come up to me one time um, when I was talking to a bunch of insurance agents because they're out a lot yes. in the public too, you know, yeah, and that's true, and yeah. I was I was visiting with them and this lady was, was just bawling after I, you know, after she saw the whole pack presentation and she said, you know, my, my daughter, you know, and I are really close. She tells me everything. She's super outgoing. And I said, well, then maybe you need to talk to her because maybe it's not her that they're after right, right now. Maybe it's her friend who is not as confident as she is. Right. And that's why your children need to hear this, this stuff too, because yeah. maybe it's not them, but maybe it's someone they know. And you right. know how friends are they'll confide in each other before yeah. they'll ever tell a parent that something like that would yeah. be going True. on yeah 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 uh, you know i'm curious to know how often um how often does human trafficking happen on the road and are there specific areas within the across the country that are a little heavier to or more susceptible to trafficking that we can note so it's hard um it's hard to give definitive statistics on this and i recognize that that's um not an easy answer. <laughs> um, but we know that it's traf it, trafficking is taking place in all 50 states. We know it's taking place in every kind of community from um, lower income to million dollar areas, right? There is no there is no zip code that, you know, this crime cannot occur. Um, we know to date that truck drivers alone have made thousands and thousands of calls to the National Human Trafficking Hotline and have identified over 1,300 victims of human trafficking. Um, yeah instances that that they have been um, witnessing. And that's just calls to the national hotline. That doesn't count calls to local non-emergency or to 911. Nobody's tracking that data. Yeah. Um, what I can tell you from a sort of a geographic perspective, um, again, this is happening in rural areas. It is happening in the major cities, in the urban areas, the suburban areas, rural, and everywhere in between. Obviously, places where you have um, higher densities of population, you're going to see this more. Um, but it doesn't mean that it 
can't happen in the the one stoplight town that happens to have a truck stop, you know, off of the major interstate, um, it can happen there as well. And I think, um, you know, Rhonda called this out, called this out too. We want to make sure that we're saying truck stops are not the number one place where trafficking is occurring. It is just one place. Right. And we have to remember that these traffickers are going to exploit any location they can where they can take their victims and make money. Um, so I want listeners to be thinking about um, the the restaurants in your town or the construction sites. Anyway, lived in Denver for a number of years and, and heard a, a case um, from a local um, uh, organization that was just doing humanitarian work in downtown Denver. And they referenced a case where there was day laborers. So people that would show up to to go do whatever job people would be willing to give them for the day. Um, construction work, This yeah. they were working on a construction site, day laborers. And one of the guys fell off a roof and broke his back and his legs and all these things. And the, the people that were employing him left him there to die. It, it was absolutely an exploitative work situation, forced labor mm -hmm. um, in terms of the, the agreements and the things that were going on. But um, I say this because we, TAT is, is focused on anti-sex trafficking. We're trying to, to help people understand forced sexual exploitation and sex trafficking across North America. But we have to remember the labor trafficking piece of this as well. And right. it could be happening under our noses, no matter where we are. So, um, not an easy answer to your question. It can be happening everywhere. Um, certainly in areas where you have more people, um, mm -hmm. I think you're, you're probably going to see it more, but, um, they're just, again, there's no racial gender or socioeconomic balance to, to the location or to the victims or even the traffickers themselves. It just speaks to the fact that, again, you have to be aware, you have to be, you know, vigilant in these situations as well. And like, like both of you have been saying throughout this conversation is don't keep the information to yourself. Yes. Right. Above all, I did want to um, ask, you know, there are, I think with the technological advances, unfortunately, some people have become less prone to wanting to speak on the phone. So I wonder, is there an opportunity to sort of text the information that you're finding um, with regards to possibly identifying a situation like this? Yes. So the the national hotline does operate a text line. Um, okay. If you text be free um, and you know, I'm going to have to, we'll put this in the show notes. I'm going to have to get what that, that text line is. Okay. Um, but you can absolutely find that if you just search national human trafficking hotline. Um, the other thing I want to point out about the hotline is any victim anywhere in the country can call or text that hotline and get access to victim services no matter where they are in the nation. So that's another important piece of the hotline. The other thing I would call out though, I know people, I'm going to challenge you all. I know you don't like to talk on the phone. <laughs> this is a, tr this is a trend. Um, but really from, um, from a, a case perspective and, and just being able to get the context of the situation that's happening, mm -hmm. I know the hotline would rather people call. Um, they can accept texts and in situations that is certainly warranted and necessary. But right. if you are able, I would just challenge you to call, either call the hotline or call local law enforcement because it's those details. And again, time being of the essence that um, really can be the difference between somebody uh, being recovered or not. You know, I, I we're running low on time here, but I would love to and 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 first of all, I just want to also just thank you so much for providing this information today and and sharing. I know it's very heavy subject matter, but also very important. Um, you know, for those who do survive trafficking in trucking, but just in general, right? I wonder if there's a story that you might be able to share of someone who was able to just move forward and live a life that they wanted to live after that. 
Absolutely. Um, there are a number of success stories, but I think the one I'm, I'm going to draw from, um, and again, I recognize this is not my story to share, so I'm going to encourage all of the listeners um, to do some homework and to, to go onto our website, truckersagainsttrafficking.org, um, and you can look through our training videos, but there are, um, there are two that, that come to mind. One is Nikki's story. It is a, um, a, a story, a video piece that we just released earlier this year. Um, it's a six minute video and it talks about a young woman that was trafficked um, and she escaped her traffickers by running to a truck stop and hiding out in the truck stop um, for several days actually. And it was a manager of the truck stop who had been trained in our material that recognized that there was a pattern with this woman, um, young woman. And so he asked her like, hey, do you need help? What's going on? This, this situation isn't normal. I'm with this organization called Truckers Against Trafficking and do you need help? Um, and she said his compassion, his time, his um, just the way he approached her truly from a, a vulnerable and helpful position, um, allowed her to share her story to to get um to get help to get out of that situation they kept her safe they gave her food all these things right she's out she's been through therapy and recovered and is now um, a successful hairdresser and has friends and a you know a community and a life um and that happens um because people are willing to intervene and yeah. and make a call. The other story that I'm gonna draw from is my coworker. Um, her name is Liz Williamson. She's been featured in a number of our videos. I would, again, challenge you to, to go and check those out. Um, but Liz, again, not my story to share, but was trafficked from the ages of six to 18, predominantly by her mother. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, um, you know, through years of, of therapy and, and working um, through this. But Liz is such an amazing individual that has so much, so much to offer, just like every survivor does, um, so much to offer the, the world. But she had been in, working in the anti-trafficking uh, movement for several years and has been with our organization for several years now. But um, going on to inspire and to um, just ignite that fire within the the populations that we serve and that we're trying to educate with her own story. Again, not mine to share. So please go in and check that out um, on our website. But I think the key is, um, again, just coming back to that human element of yeah. everybody, everybody deserves a life where they are safe, right? Where they have opportunity. Um, and when we're talking about victims and survivors of human trafficking, um, you know, even if your call, right, and I'm challenging the drivers now, and, and Rhonda will understand this too, even if it's your call or your interaction or your conversation that you have with someone in a bathroom, um, even yeah. if that one instance isn't the, the instance that ends up turning that person's life around, it may be. Um, it may be your call that recovers them out, but maybe it's not. Still, that opportunity for that person to be seen as a human being and to recognize that there are people out there looking, there are people out there being vigilant and trying to, to seek out um, those, again, that are on the margins and that may, may need help, that's just going to, to be internalized for that person so that one day they are able to make that step or they are able to exit the life or they are able to get that, um, to get to safety and, and, and get out of their situation. Um, it all counts. It all, it just, it all counts. It counts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all counts. And, you know, and trucking is such a community yes. and hearing that those stories, I think today really 
and you know, in in an odd way, inspires me really because I I have such an affinity for the trucking community and seeing people like Rhonda and you know meeting people like you, Laura. We've been you know working together for some time now with with Transfix and and Tat, and you know it really just goes to show that you know sometimes a simple "How are you? Are you okay?" Yes. can change a life. Yep. Um, with that, I know we've left the the uh, audience with a lot of homework to do. Um, Thank you so much to the two of you today. And I, I would love to have you back on for another session. Um, Rhonda, I appreciate you. I know you're on the road today. So, so thank you for making the time. It's such a pleasure. Um, and Laura, thank you so much as always. Can I add one quick thing real fast? Yeah, sure you can. Okay. Um, it has been kind of a stigma that tap means that it's accusing you know, truck drivers of participating in this. And mm. that is the furthest thing from the truth. That's right. Tat is, knows that truck drivers are the ones that are out there, like the knights in shining armor in a yes. lot of cases with people out there on the road. So it is not an accusatory type company at all. I, I have learned so much from, from their organization and the way that they explain things is phenomenal. Definitely take time to go on their website and take a look at what they've got to tell you. You will be amazed. I couldn't have said that any better. I Transfix is proud to partner with Truckers Against Trafficking, and we encourage everyone out there in the trucking community and supply chain and logistics to seek them as well, to partner with them. I think to, we're better together. And so it, it, it starts with, with you. Um, so again, I, I want to, I know we'll have it in the show description, but it's truckersagainsttrafficking.org. Do you want to drop the number for human trafficking one more time? Yes. 1-888-3737-888. That's the national human trafficking hotline. Um, and I'll be sure to get you that text line as well for the show notes. Ladies, thank, thank you so, so much, much, Jenny. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.